Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hour number two. Yes. I can hear it now, James. No, I'm good. Hour I don't know two. when we're you hear it when you don't. So, James, <laughs> the, Kyle, just so we're on the same page, Kyle can't hear the music, but he can hear like the intro. Uh, but I never yeah. know what's about to play. <laughs> It's the start of the second hour. The second hour intro is about to play. We're in. <laughs> These things matter to you guys. They don't matter to me because I just Good. wait for you guys to start talking. <laughs> right. But you we'll guys, do, James, you, you, know what, you know what, James, you know what we'll do one time? We'll, we'll do this for real, for real, because you've been wanting me to come out and, and hang out at your house. Yeah. And I would like to do that. So I will come out there. And we will sit down and I will just go through every aspect. We can pour up drinks and I will go through every aspect of the radio show. That's right. And just get you do crash course in becoming a radio guy. I'm just here to talk. That's all. <laughs> it'll be great. No, it'll be great. It'll be a ton of fun. And then we can go cook barbecue on a boat or whatever it is. There it is. You do. Uh, this you sounds like something I would do. Velvet. Or I don't know. I don't know what rich people do, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll ask Kenny. Uh, that's um, nice. There we go. We'll have to ask Kenny. Yeah. Speaking of Kenny, D'Lo and Casey uh, coming up in uh, in about an hour. Uh, they'll take you from noon to four right here on ESPN thirteen twenty. Sacramento's sports leader. We've been talking a ton of kings, and we're not done with that just yet. Uh, Nick Wagner uh, from ESPN. He covers the forty nine er for ESPN. He'll be joining us at eleven thirty. So we'll talk some Niners with him. We're going to talk Niners here, but we'll also have some good, bad, and ugly from the Kings win over the Nuggets last night. That'll be coming up in about 10 minutes. And then uh, the whole Steph and LeBron trade thing is hilarious. And I would like to talk about it. Yeah, would you? Yeah, so we're going to do that as well. Um, Right after our show yesterday, right after James and I got done having a great conversation about whether the 49ers should, should keep or fire Steve Wilkes, uh, Kyle Shanahan held a pr- conference call where he said, uh, I have relieved Steve Wilkes of his duties. He said, uh, really tough decision because this is a quote from Kyle Shanahan. Really tough decision because really says nothing about Steve as a man or as a football coach. He is exactly what we wanted as a man. He is a great football coach, but just where we're going and where we're at with our team from a scheme standpoint and things like that, looking through it all throughout the year. Through these last few days, I felt pretty strongly that this was the decision that was best for our organization. The first thing I want to clear up here is this was not related to the Super Bowl. The 49ers didn't fire their defensive coordinator because they lost the Super Bowl. I didn't, I thought Steve Wilkes was really good in the Super Bowl for the most part and had a couple of unfortunate blitz calls. 
in in a couple of key spots. Uh, one of which Kyle Shanahan called a timeout because he didn't like the defensive look that that Wilkes was giving the Chiefs. This started to me, James, in week seven. That was the Vikings game. Yeah. Where where Wilkes called the blitz at the end of the first half that led to the Vikings touchdown. And Shanahan didn't do the thing that coaches do at the end of a game where they go, yeah, you know, we've got to look at everything and blah, 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 blah. He basically threw Wilkes under the bus, more or less. And then Wilkes came out and opened his next press conference with an apology. Like he had killed somebody. It was a it was it was a really strange dynamic. And then you had the whole thing with him coming down from the booth to the field. It was just a I think it was always a little bit of a of a bizarre fit. Um, and I and I think that the 49ers, a team that is built front to back. They rely heavily on their pass rush from their defensive front. They rely heavily on what they get from their linebackers in the second level. And then they brought in a defensive coordinator who is traditionally a defensive backs guy and a, and a coverage minded guy. And I don't think that's necessarily what the 49ers were looking for. So I don't think it's that Steve Wilkes did a necessarily bad job. I just, don't think that there was a schematic and philosophical alignment with Shanahan that that needed to be there. Yeah, I think um, like because it it happens like right as we're we're leaving the show, right? And mm-hmm. Tim Kawakami from the Athletic wrote in his piece, Steve Wilkes's firing isn't ex- isn't scapegoating as much as it is an admission that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch made a mistake when yes. they hired Wilkes in the first place. Yes. I think that that's that's exactly. I, I don't feel like should Steve Wilkes have had his team prepared for the final play? Yes. Like without any question. That's sure. that's a play that they run as soon as you saw Hardman go out and then come back in, you should have known that that's what they were doing and you should have either called timeout or you should have been yelling that that's what's mm-hmm. about to happen, right? So the final play of the game in the Super Bowl where the 49ers lose with McCall Hardman touchdown from mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes. So, but that's not the only time I felt this entire season that there was something wrong. Like, yeah. to be honest with you, you you spent so much money on the defensive line that couldn't get to anybody. And yeah. that didn't make any sense. You know, you mm-hmm. sat there, you, you've got Nick Bosa, you've got Hargrave, you've got, uh, you've got Eric Armstead. You traded for Chase Young. You traded for Chase Young. You, you picked up mm-hmm. Randy Gregory. You have all of these pieces. It's just so dynamic. And then on top of that, you have two of the great linebackers in the game. And -hmm. you can't send one of those linebackers. You can't send Hafunga, a a safety, when he was healthy, to go on a a safety blitz. Like, Mm -hmm. when they did blitz, it was so obvious and so poorly timed. And then the other times you're wondering, man, your four-man front is not getting to the quarterback. Either you need to figure Mm -hmm. out some sort of stunts or some sort of different scheme or something to help them get there. Mm-hmm. Or you got to send somebody else and break this thing up because that's what it mm-hmm. felt. It felt monotonous. It felt like yeah. their four guys up front were slamming into five big offensive linemen on every play and getting stuck. And okay, that's it. We can't get through tonight. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing else. There was no variant. And so uh, for as good as the 49ers were, and as far as they ended up getting, I think they could have been better and it doesn't matter like the overall yardage and all that stuff. To me, it doesn't matter. The product on the field looked weird quite a few times throughout the season and Nick Bosa yeah. never looked right. 
the entire season. Yeah, and I and I think part of that too was some of the coverage stuff, which is what Wilkes is supposed to really specialize in. <clears throat> there were games where the Niners would get pressure, but they were a step late, or or there was a, a an easy outlet for for the for the quarterback. And I think that's a little bit where those issues came in was they weren't good enough in the secondary to lean on the secondary the way they did or to do the things schematically the way they did. And then you go, I mean, you can go as far back as the Isaiah Oliver signing. They signed Isaiah Oliver to be the starting nickel. And then they were rotating him and Diamador Lenore in the slot. And then they wound up landing on Ambry Thomas on the outside, but then Ambry Thomas got benched for the Super Bowl. And they started Logan Ryan, who was on vacation uh, in Mexico when the Niners called him uh, over Thanksgiving. So, like, they had, and then they started Logan Ryan in the Super Bowl at, at, at nickel, a position he hadn't played in in years. So, I, it just there were there were a lot of strange things. And I want to I want to make it really clear that like I was very pro Steve Wilkes signing. I think Steve Wilkes is a excellent football coach. I thought the Panthers maybe made a little bit of a mistake not keeping him as their head coach, given the buy-in that he got from those players. Uh, he had more wins as the Panthers interim head coach than any of their last three head coaches have had combined. Like that's nuts. Dude. Mm-hmm. That more than Matt Rule, more than than um, <clears throat> oh my god, Frank Reich, and more than uh, whoever was before before that oh their interim guy from this year but uh, i forget his name but <clears throat> i think steve wilkes is a great coach and, he, and and kyle shanahan said as much there was just a schematic uh, uh difference that just never really lined up yeah you and can... i think that that was going to continue to be a problem yeah you can be a a good coach and just not a good coach for the team you're on and, yeah, yeah. and and I think that's at the end of the day what we saw. And, and mm-hmm. again, I didn't think I'm not firing him just because I'm firing because or blaming him for the Super Bowl. I'm firing because I felt like the entire season there was something missing with the defensive unit. Yeah. So, so the Niners are looking for somebody more from the the Pete Carroll kind of tree that cover three uh, style that Seattle runs. Um that's what what Shannon said. Somebody who's more, you know, aligned philosophically with what they want to do. Robert Sala came from that tree. D'Amico Ryan's came from under uh, Robert Sala. Uh, he was he was on the defensive staff. His his first coaching job was with the 49ers in 2017, and he he rose through the ranks to become the defensive coordinator. One of the names I'm watching, just as we like, you're going to hear Mike Vrabel, you'll hear Bill Belichick, you'll hear Pete Carroll, you'll hear Brandon Staley. Uh, you'll hear all those names. One one of the ones that intrigues me a lot, though, is Aaron Curry, who's the inside linebackers coach for the Steelers. He has a year now under Mike Tomlin. He had four years under Pete Carroll as a linebackers coach. As one of the, I was just kind of going through some some potential candidates yesterday. That's the one that jumped out to me. Okay. So, um, we'll uh, we'll continue diving into that as as names come out and as interviews happen. We'll we'll keep you apprised of of what's going on there. And then we'll also ask Nick Wagner, who's coming up at 1130 to continue our uh, 49ers postmortem as they start moving into the offseason and looking to bounce back from another Super Bowl defeat. Before we do that, though, let's talk about good, bad, and ugly from the Kings win over the Denver Nuggets last night. Let's get the vibes going again. 
uh, Kings 102, Nuggets 98. What was good? What was bad? What was ugly? We'll tell you next on ESPN 1320, Sacramento Sports Leader. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, back to the insiders with James Ham and Kyle Madsen. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube on ESPN 1320. I we're back in here. Sorry, I'm I'm locked in to a couple of things happening on the internet right now. <clears throat> we got to get to good, bad, and ugly from from the Kings win over the over the Nuggets. But before we do that, real quick, uh, James, you'll be shocked to learn that Joe Lacob said that the Warriors' offseason plan one A is to get out of the luxury tax. Oh. Stunning, a truly yeah. stunning development that nobody could have seen coming. Uh, the other, <laughs> sorry, the other Clay, that wanted... tough. It's really tough. Um, the other. How much credit are we giving Mason Jones for last night? Because it feels like he's getting way too much credit. <laughs> Just like, I don't know what is going on. I, so, I didn't even really see it. I, I like he, he was out there. He was like the first one off the bench, like dapping guys up. But so no, look here, here, look. So so I saw our guy Deuce Mason after the game was like, "Yo, Mason Jones on the bench, ultimate vibes guy. He's he is the reason for tonight." And I was like, "Wow." That's kind of wild. And then Mike Mike Brown after the game. It's like, man, uh, energy was great. It was great having him out there. We have a quiet group. Uh, so for him to to have that energy, it was it was really great and helpful. And then Deuce posts a video of like a few examples of the energy Mason Jones brought. And it's just him being an NBA bench guy. And I don't, I'm sorry, I'm not it's like I don't see it. Yeah, no, he's doing the job, and I and I understand that that could be that that could be helpful. <laughs> and under like I I get it. I just don't. It feels like he's getting too much credit for what like De'Aaron and Fox and Demont. I don't think De'Aaron and Fox turned into fourth quarter Fox because Mason Jones did a little dance after a layup. I don't. <laughs> maybe I'm maybe I'm underthinking it. For a guy who watched um, ten other players go out there on the second night of a back to back when he didn't play on the night before. 
Like you should mm-hmm. have energy and it's good. It's good that you have that. And it's, I don't want to mm-hmm. take away from the guy. I'd also say like Deuce knows Mason just a little bit. I, I would assume because Deuce mm-hmm. is, is the play by play call uh, announcer for the Stockton Kings, uh, which mm-hmm. is where Mason Jones was for the last like, I don't know, right. three weeks or so. Mm-hmm. It, he wasn't there that long. So, it knows the kind of knows the kind of guy he is knows the kind of personality he has. Yeah, yeah, and, and I okay. mean you need a vibes guy, right? Uh, it's like, true. Like the the good old Kings, point. the what was it? Uh, Mateen Cleaves. Uh, like what Mateen Cleaves did after he left the Kings. Like no, no, no. Like I don't want to talk about Mateen Cleaves, but as a guy on the bench, like doing jumping jacks and going crazy, you know, uh, Frank Mason. You had with the Liddy committee. Like the, the Liddy committee. Yeah. The, right. the Kings, like they've had those guys. Uh, Harry Giles was right. a big bench guy. And like they, the Kings have always had guys like that. And that's why you bring in guys like um, Matthew Della Vadova last year, who uh, mm-hmm. would like run laps during timeouts and stuff. And like, he just always ready. And like, uh, you're looking for vibes guys. Even, you know, JaVale McGee is a vibes guy behind the scenes. Like he's a guy, Great that, vibes guy. that everybody's like a okay with. And, um, Wantiscano Anderson when he was here in Sacramento, same type of thing. But I'm not sure that in one game, like you got a guy on the bench and he's going nuts. And you know, Chimezi met you last year. He's a big cheerleader guy. So mm. yeah, I'm gonna give him some credit because people smarter than me, Deuce, Mike Brown, are like, yeah, hey, it was super helpful, which is great. Okay, and I will make, I will even go as far as to make uh, Mason Jones a good thing that happened for the Kings last night. He was one of the good things as we transition to good, bad, and ugly here. Made a bench energy. Love that for him. And honestly, as a vibes guy myself, if he's going to continue curating good vibes uh, when he's when he's here in Sacramento, then I love it. Big uh, fan. Me too. Like, go ahead. Be the vibes guy. I'm, I'm A-OK with that. Yeah, me too. What else you got uh, as good from last night? Uh, Fox took over the fourth quarter. Uh, I did time. Yeah. Um, that was, that was pretty spectacular. Uh, Sabonis took Jokic to the woodshed. There's even this, this, go ahead. It, it's really clear that I, I think one of the reasons the Kings match up so well with Denver is because other, other teams typically the, the, the Sixers don't, but most, most other teams in the NBA, so is that 27 other teams in the NBA? have to do things to their offense to get Jokic in unfavorable matchups. Whereas with the Kings, Sabonis exists in so many spaces on the floor that force Jokic away from the basket into spots that he's not necessarily comfortable that I think it, it messes with his, with his rhythm and, and maybe gasses him in a way that other teams can't. Um, And I think Sabonis being as effective as he is as a center uh, just kind of makes Jokic uncomfortable in ways that not a lot of guys can. Yeah, and I would say this too. Like, there are players in the league, there's only a couple of them, that really bother Sabonis, right? We've mm-hmm. talked about it. The, the Kevon Looney's of the world, Steven Adams, um, mm-hmm. even Valanchunas is, is usually pretty tough. It's mm-hmm. these gigantic, super strong guys that can push you away from the basket, right? Mm-hmm. I think that it's possible that Sabonis is just one of those guys for for Jokic. Like whatever mm, yeah. it, whatever it is about the way that that Sabonis plays, it makes him uncomfortable. And you're right. Yeah. Like 
position defender, like Sabonis is a very, he's not good in space. He's going to get beat. Uh, like by, if he gets caught out on the three point sure. line and someone tries to go blow by him, he's going to get beat and he's not a shot blocker, but that's another thing. The fact that he's not a shot blocker, that he stays down and he doesn't just let Jokic likes to get his weight on his opponent, hold him mm-hmm. onto the, knock him down onto the floor, uh, basically keep him grounded and then go over mm-hmm. the top of him. And I just think that Sabonis, it's really difficult to do that with. And he's mm-hmm. a super, super strong guy. Uh, and, and he keeps fighting the whole time. Um, so, yeah, it's just a weird matchup. And even you yep. saw Jokic lost his cool. Jokic should have been thrown out of the game. Uh, mm-hmm. He went out an official like crazy for a while. And it was on a play where it sure didn't look like he got fouled at all. Yeah. And I don't know what he was angry about, but like the Kings took advantage in that situation. And, and, and really, I think a lot of it was Sabonis. So I, I think... That mm-hmm. matchup is is spectacular, and you get to see why Sabonis, why I consider Sabonis one of the better players in the league, because yeah. he can do that to one of the greats. Like yep. that's that's probably going to be a three time MVP right there, and he probably yep. already should have been a three time MVP, but you know he didn't win it. Yep, he didn't win it yeah. last year. Is is the uh, I don't know about consensus, but if you're doing a straw poll of who's the best player in the world right now, Nikola Jokic is going to be the top of a lot of lists. Yes. Yeah, I, he is in the straw poll by uh, Tim Bontemps. He is he is he is the the number one. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see what else do we have. Harrison we, Barnes. Harrison Barnes is good last night too. He was. That's uh, that's our other uh, good. Uh, Harrison Barnes was really yeah. good. He showed up. Kyle, are you okay if that's if that's how Harrison is the rest of the season? That like he looks at a game and goes, you know what? I think they need me to rebound tonight, and he goes and rebounds. I think they need me Dude. to get to the free throw line tonight. I'm going to do that. Or I think they need me to hit a bunch of threes tonight. One of the things we talk about, we talk about the playoffs last year, right? And, you know, if De'Aaron hadn't broken his finger, if if Harrison Barnes had made that shot, you know, if, 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 if on all this stuff, there were so many nights where it was like, man, three more good minutes from Harrison Barnes <laughs> went through this game. His ability to uh, attack the rim, get to the line, take on bigger defenders, I think offensively he can be way more effective than he's been this year. And I think you saw it last night. So yeah, if that's the player he's going to be like, Hey, we need a little something extra offensively. We need to get to the line. Let's slow this thing down. Let's get a couple of free points, Yep, hit an open three. I, I'm, I'm very much here for it. And I would like to see that a lot moving forward. Yep. Uh, I think the last good thing that we, we circled was Chris Duarte showed up and I, yep. it, like in all honesty, D'Lo and Casey got, and I got into this discussion yesterday. And when I brought up Chris Duarte, I think Damian almost fell off his stool. Like he didn't want to see Chris Duarte anymore. <laughs> and sure enough, he comes in and he actually has a moment. And I didn't know he was going to play. I was just saying, like, look, if you're going to get zero production off of the last four guys on your bench, then I- I'm okay with giving Chris Duarte a r- some run. That's what happened. And he was good. I thought, hey, like, kudos to you, man. Stay ready. So yeah. uh, I thought he was good. Uh, the bad. Uh, they were running in mud. That was tough to watch. It was tough to watch a team that had no legs trying to shoot threes. Yeah. Um, okay. They had way too many turnovers early. And mm-hmm. then uh, watching Keegan Murray try to fight through whatever it is he's fighting through right now, it was, uh, I don't know. It's odd, man. It's very much, very much, hopefully just growing pains and not some crazy uh, like regression. But whatever it is, it's not uh, it's not going great for for Keegan at the moment. Yeah, I think he'll be fine after the break. 
Um, two, the, two for two for his last nineteen from three. Oof. Well, that's not good. Uh, on the ugly not side, good. Malik didn't have it, and uh, the second unit really didn't have it either. Um, outside of some some bonus minutes from Chris Duarte, the second unit really really struggled for a second straight night. Yeah, that that cannot become a trend. But at the same time, come playoff time, uh, your bench depth matters a lot less. Can your can your best guy be the best guy on the floor, and can your top seven guys not screw it up the rest of the way? That's right. That's a, and that's I thought gonna come down to. Trey Lyles finished with four points and five rebounds. He's sick, and he he played through mm-hmm. the illness, so he missed his threes, but. I also thought he had some impactful rebounds and was like, okay, look, at least you're trying. You're putting some effort in there uh, when you're not feeling well. Yeah. All right. Let's hit the, uh, let's hit a break. Uh, Niners postmortem with Nick Wagner, who covers the 49ers for ESPN. Uh, he was down at the Super Bowl for eight days and, and managed to survive that. He's been in press conferences, been in conference calls. Uh, would love to get his thoughts next on uh, what the next steps are for the 49ers and how they bounce back from another uh, crushing defeat to end a season that's coming up next uh and lebron to the warriors question mark we'll discuss that too on espn 1320 now back to the insiders with james ham and kyle madsen brought to you by jiffy loop on espn 1320 All right, we're back in here. Final segment before we hand it off to D'Lo and KC. We'll also have the handoff. I believe it'll be D'Lo hopping in with us uh, today to discuss the uh, LeBron Warriors rumors and the Kings win over the Nuggets. But before we do that, our guy, friend of the program, Nick Wagner, he covers the 49ers for ESPN, uh, joining us now to discuss uh, some of the 49ers uh, early offseason moves. Uh, Nick, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to to hop in with us. Uh, was firing Steve Wilkes the right move for the 49ers? Wow. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if we can answer that right now, but I, I can say, like, I, I think, first of all, we need to look at this, like, holistically. I think the easy thing to do, and a lot of people are doing, is saying this is a reactionary, scapegoating move based on what happened after the Super Bowl. And it wasn't just based on the Super Bowl. And, and I think everyone that will follow the 49ers all year knew that there was – issues that took place throughout the course of the season that uh, kind of built up to this and made this so that it wasn't a huge surprise if you were following along with the team. And let's just start back at the beginning, guys. Like when when Steve Wilkes got hired, it was the first time the Niners had done two things. First of all, it was the first time that they had hired from outside of the building for the defensive coordinator job. Second of all, it was the first time that they'd hired a defensive coordinator who had a background working with defensive backs rather than a linebacker. And, and, and Kyle Shanahan, preferred having guys who were linebackers and coach linebackers because they do see things more holistically. They have a better idea of how to connect the front and the back because that's what a linebacker's job is, is to know what everyone is supposed to do. So that put Steve Wilkes at a disadvantage a little bit from the beginning. The other thing that put him at a disadvantage from the beginning was Kyle Shanahan did not want to change the scheme. And he wanted Steve Wilkes to come in and learn his defense. So not only was Steve Wilkes trying to learn a defense that he didn't have a lot of familiarity with. He was also trying to learn his players and understand what they want to do. And by the way, he didn't get to bring in any of his own staff. So this is a staff that he's learning and trying to understand that's already ahead of him in terms of knowledge of the scheme. So then we get into the season and we saw the things along the way, right? There was the incident in Minnesota where he calls cover zero blitz at the end of the first half. It turns into a touchdown. Now you can say Charverius Ward probably should have caught that ball. It should have been, regardless, it wasn't a good call at the time. Kyle Shanahan openly questioned the move right after the game, followed up and doubled down on it the next day. Steve Wilkes is apologizing during the week for it. 
You go into the bye week. There's all this discussion about should Steve Wilkes move down to the field. He does move down to the field. So that was another thing along the way. The run defense towards the end of the year wasn't very good. And then we get into the playoffs, guys. And the first couple of games, particularly in the Detroit game, there were a lot of issues with the run defense. And the thing that sticks out to me the most through all this, you know, and you can, you can point to what players were saying and all those things, but the thing that sticks out the most was we were guys in the weeks leading up to the Super Bowl, we were talking about defensive effort, which is just a crazy thing to really think about for any team really at any point in the year. It's, you don't hear a lot of effort questions, but a team going to the Super Bowl, I never thought I would be writing stories and talking on TV about effort. And that had never been an issue under Kyle Shanahan. And so if you want to say that's not Steve Wilkes' fault, that's kind of Chase Young's thing. That's the thing that has been on his resume throughout his career. Sure, that's all fair. But it's still a crazy thing to think about. And then you get into the Super Bowl, and there was a couple of more things. So was it the right move? I guess that just depends on who they can get to replace him. Uh, you know, it's, it's late in this process. I happen to think that the Niners probably have a couple, three candidates in mind, or they wouldn't have made this move. But I also think that Steve Wilkes had his issues. It's not a surprise that this happened necessarily. But also, the defense wasn't bad. It just wasn't at the level that it had been in the past. I do think Steve Wilkes knew that coming into this. And so I, I don't think he necessarily is even surprised either. I just think that the Niners are in a position where they're also not going to be able to make a lot of sweeping changes this offseason. And so what can they do to try to get over the hump is go find a defense coordinator who maybe can get them back to those dominant levels where they're equally dominant on both sides of the ball. You know what, Nick? My first question, you brought it up. They, they've they got a couple of guys out there that they, they have to have at least some idea of who they would chase. Who is it that, that you're hearing or who is it that you would chase when it comes to that position? Because it is late in, late in the program. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting, James, because if you look at the Niners, like what they want to do schematically, there's not a lot of options out there of guys who who do what they do and would be able to come in and not be in the same position that Wilkes was in, right, where he's got to learn the defense. I mean, the name that, everyone, that I think a lot of people are bringing up and throwing out there is Brandon Staley. So Brandon Staley has connections to Kyle Shanahan, you know, that whole kind of coaching tree with McVay, LaFleur. But I would caution a couple of things on Brandon Staley. First of all, um, and, and I'm not saying he's not a candidate for the job. I just think there's a couple of things to, to, to keep an eye on here. Number one, we're talking schematics. He is a Vic Fangio disciple, which is not mm. the same defense that the 49ers run. And that's not to say that they couldn't do it or that he could adapt to it or that they could find kind of a happy medium there. But it's just something to keep in mind where there would be a little bit of a learning curve again with a new defensive coordinator if he was going to be the guy. The other thing that makes me wonder here is, is he interviewed with, with Matt LaFleur in Green Bay. He interviewed with Sean McVay to potentially go back to the Rams. Those are his guys, guys that know him. Again, part of this tree. They didn't hire him. It makes you wonder, right? Like they had the number one defense with the Rams when he was there, and now he gets passed over when they have a chance to bring him back. I, it just it just kind of raises a couple of, of red flags. I mean, there's obviously the big names out there, the older guys that, you know, the Bill Belichick's and the Pete Carroll's. I'm not going to sit here and say never that that's impossible. I just think it's unlikely. I think if you're talking about like a Belichick, I wouldn't rule out the possibility of maybe a consultantship type of thing where he's he's coming and helping out on the side as just a way to stay connected to the league for his next coaching job. Also would give him the ability to help his son, who I think is coaching up at the University of Washington now, where maybe he could do some things both ways that way. Pete Carroll, he does run the scheme. Uh, it would be a fun, it would certainly be a fun storyline. I mean, we saw Richard Sherman as the as a 49er, and a lot of people didn't think that was going to work. And now Sherman's one of the biggest 49ers defenders there is. So uh, again, you can never say never. It just seems really unlikely. And so uh, I think they're going to be in a position here where they've got to kind of figure out who they want to be, which Kyle Shanahan says they want to be the same kind of defense. But 
Are they willing to take an inexperienced guy and start over again uh, like they did in the past? Or are they going to try to push hard and spend a lot of money to go get one of those big names? And I think just as we sit here right now, less than 24 hours removed from the announcement, it's just too early to say who exactly they're going to land on. Nick Wagner covers the 49ers for ESPN joining us now. Um, how do they – how – do they or can they bounce back from another crushing playoff defeat? Like teams don't lose the Super Bowl and then just go back the next year. It, it doesn't. It doesn't quite work like that. You've got George Kittle who's going to be thirty-one. You've got Trent Williams who turns thirty-six. You got Christian McCaffrey turning twenty-eight. It feels like they're not only are they up against it from just like an emotional bounce back standpoint, but they're starting to get up against it from like a just roster age standpoint. I think, I think it's the biggest thing that they've got to figure out because, to me, if you just look at this team and say, oh, we're going to run it back and hope that we can get over the hump next year with just a new defensive coordinator, it's probably not enough. And, and I, think, I think we've reached a point – I'm working on a story about this, but I think we've reached a point where the Chiefs are the end boss, right? Like, they're, they're going to be the team that you have to figure out how to beat. And I know that's weird to say because teams always talk about, oh, we got to win the division first. And so you talk about how you can beat the teams in your division. But I think the 49ers at a point where they got to start thinking about what can we do to get past the Chiefs, knowing that there's a good chance if we get there again, they're going to be the team that we have to get past to get across the finish line. And to your point, Kyle, the problem is they're, don't, they're not going to be flush with cap space. They're not going to really be in a position where they can go make another big splash like they did last year with Javon Hargrave and free agency. You know, there's a lot of talk where well, they, you know, they could cut guys and do those things. A lot of problem with that is, is that – a lot of their guys have already been restructured. So if you're going to move on from any high-priced veterans and try to replace them with other high-priced veterans, that's going to be really tough to do. And so uh, I think they're going to have to really hope that they can get internal improvement, that you know it starts with that defensive coordinator hire, that maybe there's someone who they can bring in who can get that defensive line revved up to the level that it was, the dominant level that they expected it to be and the level that it was in 2019. Because quite, quite frankly, they didn't. They weren't bad, but they just weren't as dominant as you would hope given the, the resources that they had invested. The other side of that is they got to get that offensive line figured out. If you watch that Super Bowl again, and I understand people don't want to do that right away, but when Brock Purdy was clean in that, in that Super Bowl, he was really good. He was, yeah. he was right on the money, and, they, and he was hitting his receivers in stride, and they were making plays. But when he wasn't, which was a lot of times, I think I counted eight or nine times, there was a free rusher. And that's not bad blocking. That's bad communicating. And that's all part of it, right? you got to figure that out. So they got to get that offensive line figured out. I think that they're going to have to start looking at, at safety play. That's another issue. They're going to have to get a safety in there. I think another corner or, or two. I mean, if, if, if it's me, with all the draft picks they have, offensive line and defensive backs are, are the primary concerns. I also want another defensive lineman or two. They're probably going to have to get a linebacker because you don't know what Drake Greenlaw's situation is going to be. So there's a lot of things that they've got to kind of figure out. And, and the, the problem is, is, not all those things are necessarily the things that are going to push you over the top if you just do one of them. If you can do all of them, maybe it is. But uh, it is it is going to be a more difficult thing than I think a lot of people realize. All right, you are listening to the Insiders here on ESPN 1320. We have Nick Wagner from ESPN talking 49ers. Nick, I, you brought it up a little bit there, cursory, but they are, what, $43 million over the salary cap. And if this was NBA, I could break down the salary cap to its minutiae and bore everybody here. But when it comes to the NFL, I'm not all that well-versed. How is it that they're going to get under the cap? Can they keep Brandon Ayuk? How are they going to piece this thing together here in the coming months? Because it sure does feel like they're at this precipice moment where they could really fall off if, if they don't bring some of these guys back. 
Yeah, I'll I'll try not to bore every at least at least bore everybody more than I already am anyway, uh, and get into the minutia <laughs> of it all. But I, I think I think if you look at I just think if you look at where they're at right now, they they are going to have about thirty six thirty seven million dollars in cap space left over from this year that they're going to be able to roll over. So that puts them close to it. There's a couple other things they can do, uh, restructures and things like that. I, I don't think they're particularly worried about the cap as we go into next year. I, I say that with the caveat again of. They're not going to have a lot of space to go out and make moves. But what they can do, and I've written about this a couple times, and this is why I think the Niners were viewing this as a two-year window, at least with this group. I'm not saying that after after next year the window closes because there's a lot of different things that could happen. But as long as Brock Purdy is super cheap, which he is through this next year, he has to be. They Just rules of the league, they cannot negotiate a contract extension with Brock Purdy until after his third season. So – that gives them a little bit of wiggle room to make things happen where they can get under the cap and they can keep Brandon Ayuk. Now, Brandon Ayuk's number goes to a crazy place. Does that mean that they're going to be able to keep him? I'm not, I'm not sure about that. And that's what happened with DeForest Buckner. The 49ers wanted to keep DeForest Buckner. That's a misnomer out there that they were dead set on trading him. It just got to a point where his price tag got so high they couldn't handle not only the keeping him, but kind of the opportunity cost of keeping him where it was going to cost them two or three other players that they wanted to keep. If Brandon Ayuk's contract gets into that type of situation where you start getting into the 25, 26, $27 million a year range, and you can make the case that he deserves that, uh, then it maybe becomes a little bit different conversation. But I say this too, they're in a position with Brandon Ayuk where his contract, where they would sign him, the first couple of years, generally, that number is pretty low. So he, next year, his number on the fifth-year option is like 14-something million dollars, I believe. They could sign him to a deal where his number is six or seven, and boom, you're under the cap. You've saved enough money that you're under the cap just right there. Now, the deal's not going to get done in time for that to matter. It's probably going to be late in the, late in the offseason if it gets done. But I say that to say the big hits start coming in years three and four, generally, or even year two of that deal, at which point, then you're going to have other guys that start coming off the books, whether that's Eric Armstead, whether it's Charvarius Ward. It could be Debo Samuel. You know, he only signed a three-year extension. So there's, there's a lot of different things that play into this. And I think the way the Niners are viewing it is, is you have your nucleus right now, which is your George Kittles, your Eric Armsteads, Nick Bosa, Fred Warner. And you're going to have to start transitioning into what your next nucleus is. And that is your Brandon Ayukes, your Brock Purdy's. Those are going to be kind of the next generation of 49ers that they hope will extend this window for as long as possible. Uh, Nick Wagner covers the 49ers for ESPN, uh, one of my favorite people to talk football with, but also one of my favorite people to talk hoops with. Uh, what did you think about the LeBron Warriors stuff? I honestly haven't thought about it at all, to be completely honest with you. Just terrible, terrible radio here. But that's my bad. That's my bad. I, 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 I spent I spent eight nights in Las Vegas. You tell me how long it takes to get over that. That's <laughs> that's all I want to know. That's, that's that's all I got for. I mean, I can't say I'm shocked by it, right? Like, I mean, the Warriors have been clearly unafraid to try to make huge moves like that, but I can't say I'm surprised. <laughs> uh, Nick, thanks so much for taking time out today. Uh, we will uh, we will catch up with you a little bit later on in the offseason. You got it, guys. See ya. Appreciate you, buddy. It's Nick Wagner. Covers the 49ers for ESPN. Make sure to uh, check him out uh, at ESPN.com. <laughs> it's where you can find his work. Um, yeah, I should have prepped him for the LeBron Warriors thing. I just assumed he would have been he would have been on top of it. That's my fault. That's on me. Well, there was no banana boat like leading up to this. So we hadn't seen, you know, pictures of these guys all hanging out. And like, I, I would think it wouldn't be with, with Steph and, and LeBron at this point. It wouldn't be with Life S on and all of them getting 
pulled behind a, a ski boat. I think it would be more like like a cigar bar somewhere. Like you could yeah. see like a GQ shoot with all of them sitting around smoking a cigar and like, hey, what if? What yeah. if? The wind horse, what if? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know, man. I like I, I'm surprised, you know, like you guys are are big time. You've been in the the Warriors world for so long. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of I'm kind of wondering if if LeBron goes to to San Francisco and joins forces, right? First of all, what does that mean? Who who leaves? Who who's still around? All that stuff. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of question marks that have to be like that would have to be chopped through there to get to a point, um, which I, I don't know that could ever be figured out. But if right. he's gonna like take a minimum deal and say, hey, let's go play this out, I kind of wonder if that would be the end of the super team like what it do you, would, like how so it would be the super team like the swan song of the superstar everyone join in together and like let's go out in a blaze of glory because this seems like it's the superstar era and lebron was part of the superstar era where he goes to my he takes his talents to miami to go join yeah. two other superstars and they try to make a super team and uh, it would kind of feel like maybe we just that that era out into space and we let them close this out. And and for me, I would hope it would end a very similar way that like, you know, the Carl Malone and Gary Payton going to the Lakers era ended. That's kind of how it would. It, although the, the difference is, is Steph and LeBron are both still playing at a high level. Oh, they're still great. But also, yeah. but also, but also if it doesn't work, you're right. Like nobody is going to look and go, oh yeah, that's something we want to replicate. And I think with just with the backlash now, because for so long it was, it was, if you don't win a ring, your career is meaningless. Look at how people talk about Charles Barkley. Oh yeah. Charles Barkley is one of the greatest NBA players to ever lace up sneakers. And nobody takes him seriously because he didn't win a title because he ran into Michael Jordan. That's, That's nuts. Right. Yeah. So for so long and, and, with LeBron, it was like, yeah, hey, nice little career you've got there, but no rings. So who are you really? And so he went to where you could he could go get a ring. Kevin Durant, same thing. And I think that that became such a hyper focus that everybody, all these stars who didn't have rings, wanted to start teaming up to get one. Yeah. And now that that is, I think, less of a less of a of a focus. At least, at least that's how it seems. It seems like there's more of a of a dedication to, I want to stay with this team that drafted me, but I'm going to put pressure on them to make the moves necessary to get us over the hump to a title. Yeah, I I think that every player, you know, again, we see Dirk Nowitzki get to play his entire career in Dallas, even though he wasn't drafted by Dallas. He's drafted by the Milwaukee Bucks and traded on draft night for Robert Tractor Trailer, like. Outside of that, like it just doesn't feel like that's the era we live in anymore where players get to play their entire career somewhere. And I I love the fact that Steph Curry might get to play his entire career in Golden State. And for all those guys, if all three of them played out their entire careers and just finished with the Warriors, that would be fine. I don't think it will happen that way. Uh, I don't think Clay's going to get his money. I, I don't think that, you know, like Draymond Green could could get traded to clear out cap space. Like there are a lot of things that could happen with that team, but mm-hmm. I miss that era. You know, I, I think it's, it's, it's sad 
that Carl Malone plays his entire career in, in Utah. And you can hate Carl Malone. That's fine. Like, whatever. But uh, the fact that him and John Stockton didn't end their careers as as members of the Jazz, mm-hmm. it's kind of lame. You know, I would like yeah. to see it. So, and, and as someone who's covered De'Aaron Fox since, you know, 2007 and, you know, watched him come into the league as a 19-year-old kid, I would love to see De'Aaron Fox finish his career in a Kings uniform. And that's possible. It's totally possible. But, like, I get it. Like, at some point, mm-hmm. you got to do what... what uh, Damian Lillard did and say, Hey, I need to go where I can actually win because that's not who you guys are now. And that's where I want to be. And so maybe we see, you know, like more of that, like in the future, but LeBron is kind of his path as a superstar. is kind of weird where he has bounced around. You know, it's not that he played for one franchise. He's played for one franchise twice, but he's also played for like a total of, you know, in different stops, like four different franchises. So, but he's yeah. been, but he's been so much. He's like, I feel like Kevin Durant gets dinged for that, right? He gets dinged for being on what is this? His fourth team? Is that what is it his is? Fourth team now? OKC, Golden State, yeah, Brooklyn and Phoenix, yeah. So his fourth team, fifth if you want to count the Sonics, but he's with yeah. his fourth franchise. Yep, and I think he gets knocked for that, but LeBron is not going to at least long-term because of just how dominant he's been at every single stop. Yep. Like he's just been, I, I know that people will use the decision against him forever or whatever, but like he's just been so individually great that by the end time, his career ends, nobody's going to be like, yeah, but he bounced around all those teams. Whereas I think if, if Damian Lillard had gotten out of Portland in 2013 or 14 or whenever, I think his his career is probably viewed a little bit differently, but I think a lot of people probably respect the fact that Dame stuck around in Portland as long as he did uh, to try and to try and win a title. Yeah, I've like never, he's what thirty three now, and yeah. he finally left there. I've never thought that KD like I, I don't know if it was ring chasing. Is it? It's five teams for KD because he he played for the Nets, right? So yeah, so we've got OKC, Oklahoma City, Golden State, Golden State. Nets. Brooklyn. Oh, okay, you're right. You're right. So four teams. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I, I don't even fault him because I was there what you know when they lost to the Warriors and saw that that series unwind and mm-hmm. you know when he was with OKC and I could see the anguish on his face. I could see that like being the only player with just him and Russell and no one else, like not that they didn't have other players, but that the it was so hyper focused on what they did and that they meant everything to the team and Every shot had so much importance. I mm-hmm. could just feel that he didn't want that. He wanted to be part of a team, not part of a, a group of two. Mm-hmm. And so I don't blame him for for going out and finding something different. So, Yeah. I just think there was so much backlash to it yeah. that now everybody's afraid to <laughs> request out and try and get out of where they, where they are. I yeah. think that's kind of a... And honestly, I think the league is better for that. No, I think so too. You have more players kind of sticking around with their team, but we'll see what happens with LeBron because there's the Bronny James factor as well. Is he just going to go sign with whatever team? Yeah. You know, winds up drafting him, but does he come out this year? That's a whole, that's a whole other, other thing. So going to be fascinating to see what happens at the end of uh, LeBron's career here. But the fact that he's 39 and it still moves the needle that he's going to go somewhere is, is pretty nuts. So, all right. Uh, that's it for us. We're going to give it over to D'Lo and KC, uh, next 
We'll be back tomorrow, as always, at 10 a.m. right here on ESPN 1320. James, any final thoughts on this Thursday? Final thoughts? Uh, no, enjoy your All-Star break. That's what I, yeah. I, I'm going to enjoy my All-Star break. You enjoy it, too. Yeah. Get some time off, James. But, hey, just because the Kings are off doesn't mean we are. We'll be right back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. on ESPN 1320, Sacramento Sports. Later. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh, oh.